Hi, I'm Harriet, a mental health professional and educator, and this is Dawn Breaks, the podcast all about finding hope and maybe also healing after reaching rock bottom. This brilliant episode that you're about to listen to with Emma comes along with a couple of warnings, one which is quite a serious one and one which is a bit of an explanation really. So the first one that's really important is to let you know that during this episode we talk about having suicidal thoughts and thinking about acting on them. So if that is a particular trigger point for you, I just want you to be aware that this conversation is going to be had in this episode. And just so that you know what's coming, We explore that and we also think about where you might go after that and why it can be transformational to get to that point. The other thing that I really wanted to mention was this was actually the first podcast episode that I recorded and I am brand new to podcasting and I knew it was going to be a really, really incredible conversation with Emma because I knew a bit about her story. But unfortunately, the audio quality isn't as good as I would like it to be ideally. So that's the second thing, which is really just I hope that you can bear with me and stick with it because Emma's story is absolutely incredible and really, really one that I wanted to share with you and wanted you to hear. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you, Emma, so much for joining me for this episode of podcast. I'm I'm really, really pleased that you've been able to come on and we've managed to make it happen today, which is exciting. So What I'm going to do, which I think is slightly unusual for a podcast format, is I don't want to give you a big lengthy introduction for two reasons. And the first reason is that I want the listeners to meet you where you're at today. And much like you would in a normal conversation, really, when you meet someone for the first time and sort of get to know you. And secondly, because I want to begin at the time that was really difficult for you and then figure out kind of how you were feeling and how you've started that journey in order to feel better and follow it through to where you are now with all the amazing stuff that you're doing at the moment. Does that sound okay with you? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's no problem. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. So in the podcast, we're thinking about kind of reaching a really low time of feeling very hopeless or a rock bottom feeling as much as you're comfortable are you able to describe some of that for us that what that was like for you yeah absolutely I've I've been thinking about this on sort of the lead up to recording the podcast and thinking about what was my actual kind of rock bottom moment and um it it wasn't actually when I thought it was um oh interesting I'll start with my actual rock bottom and then I will sort of probably backdate a little bit actually okay so my my actual rock bottom was the 1st of January 2012, which is very specific, isn't it? Mm, yeah. It was New Year's Day. Um, and I'd been, I'd been quite mentally unwell for a long time by then. I think mm. I was sort of in my fifth year of um, relapse and not feeling very well. And I'd had a couple of inpatient stays. But actually, my rock bottom moment was that day. I'd mm-hmm. made plans um, that I was going to end my life. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember sitting in my bedroom. And thinking, I'm going to phone the Samaritans. And I'd never phoned the Samaritans before. And it was just really odd. I just remember being on the phone to them. I wasn't phoning for 
advice to be talked out of it i was just phoning to inform them (laughs) this this will be the last time you hear from me um not that you've heard from me before but it was almost like just sort of like a checking out conversation it was really very strange anyway i um i spoke to this amazing person and the way that they handled it was they're just brilliant they're absolutely fantastic she just listened she asked me a couple of questions and I said all right then well I'm going to go now and she was like right well okay then you know but you know I hope you make the right decision okay and I remember coming off the phone call and thinking well I actually have a choice to make now yeah and I've either got to choose to do it and do it properly so that's it Mm -hmm. end of Mm. or I've got to choose that I'm going to live and if I'm going to make that decision I have to do that properly and it was like this real kind of like black and white revelation moment where I was like my goodness I'm either going to choose life or I'm going to choose death and it was literally that as clear as that that kind of clear cut wow and so I remember just thinking well well I don't I don't know whether I do actually want to die and then thinking well if I can't make that choice fully, my only other option is I've got to fully live then. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of my, really weirdly, my lowest point, but yeah. also my kind of um, turning point as well. Okay. Um, obviously, I didn't commit suicide. I'm here today. Mm, yeah, thank um, you. Thank, thank but, goodness. Um, but yeah, it just, it just kind of set in motion, I guess, the wheels of me starting to think, well, if I'm living, then I'm living. I'm and I'm choosing life. Properly. Yeah, I absolutely love that Emma that's so powerful that you know you've got to that point where you've got to make a choice and you think well if I'm going with this decision I've got your words are I've got to do it properly that's so powerful (laughs) that's so powerful wow thank you for being so vulnerable because that's really hard I've asked you to go right in straight in at the deep end and you absolutely did it without any qualms so thank you so much so no no it's it's no problem and you said that this it wasn't actually the point that you thought it was the lowest point this was actually a different point that was further on from when you imagined was your kind of rock bottom yeah so I've always kind of thought that my rock bottom was um when I first became poorly and kind of the diagnosis and all the upheaval and Mm. don't get me wrong it was horrific um but actually, my lowest point at that time, that's the closest I'd ever got to um, committing suicide. I'd, yeah. I'd had some attempts before, but I was floridly psychotic when I was mm. attempting them. And so mm. I think they were slightly different because I wasn't necessarily in my right mind, whereas this was very yeah. calculated, very thought through. I'd made all my plans. I knew exactly what I was going to do. Right. So this felt a bit different, um, whereas before it had been sort of in response to I had command hallucinations which mm-hmm. is where um, as part of psychosis you hear a voice and it sort of gives you gives you commands basically tells you okay. to do stuff mm-hmm. um, and so, so yeah, it was it was diff- different really yeah okay so it's quite a different way that it felt very much like it was coming from your choice point of view as opposed to somebody or something a voice telling you something so tell us a little bit about your journey, Emma. Like how, tell us a little bit about what happened. You mentioned there about psychosis and a bit about mental health. Like explain to us a little bit about that journey. You know, wh- where did it begin and, and what was that like for you? You know, what led up to those events that was that really vulnerable point where you were feeling really low? 
Yeah, no problem. So for me, I I didn't go to university. I had I, I had the opportunity to go to university, but I decided I I really fancied just getting a job and just getting out in the world and trying um, my hand at stuff. So sort of fairly quickly, I started to discover that I just loved working with young people. I loved working in education, mm. um, and so started to sort of work my way up the career ladder. Really, by two thousand and seven, I was um, the assistant head of year for a secondary school in inner city Birmingham and it was okay. I loved it it was brilliant it was really rough school but it was fantastic I loved okay. the children I loved children teenagers mm, yeah um, absolutely and uh, yeah I just I just really really enjoyed my job um but in the January of 2007 I remember just thinking to myself oh, I think I'm gonna have a breakdown okay and it just being a really really strange feeling of kind of tired or exhausted or or um can you the way I describe it is I was feeling like and I've, the way I've journaled it is feeling like a coiled spring mm, okay like I was just being wound tighter and tighter and tighter mm. um and like I was there was going to come a moment where it all just came out okay. and I knew it would be messy and it didn't it felt um, a bit out of control maybe yeah mm. yeah and I think it's like if you shake a bottle of fizzy pop isn't it <laughs> yeah, pressure builds right. and builds and builds yeah and I felt like it was I was not far away from the top just exploding off it basically okay um, and, it, and is that what is that what you feel happened then yeah yeah so so by the May I was sort of I was experiencing um hallucinations I was hearing voices um doing other kinds of hallucinations I was um seeing things that weren't there and feeling things that weren't there smelling stuff that wasn't there um must have been so frightening for you yeah it was it Mm. was very frightening yeah I was becoming increasingly paranoid Um, I'd started to convince myself that there were bugs people were planting bugs in the house that they could listen in on my phone calls um and so anyway I remember going into the office one Monday morning in May and um a pupil walked into the office without knocking now normally that wouldn't bother me at all Mm -hmm. I'd just say you know just sort of remind them that if they just need to knock before they come in but on this occasion that was my top exploding moment okay and I mean thankfully I didn't do anything to the child thank goodness you know Mm. um what my my brain was telling me to do was to you know have him up against the wall and demand why he hadn't knocked and I mean that's just so extreme and so not not my personality right absolutely I'd felt like you know he just I just wanted to have him against the wall and just demand why had you not knocked um before you came in and that really being sort of my my explosion moment really and, and me sort of realizing this is unsustainable mm-hmm. um spoke to my office manager uh, and I was sent home from work told to go and see the GP okay uh, and then that week really just sort of I think I must have had about five different appointments with different people during wow. the week so very quickly um sort of taken through to um see a consultant psychiatrist um i started on medication very quickly got a cpn registered with home treatments mm-hmm. um and sort of within the week I'd, I'd sort of come away with a preliminary diagnosis of severe depression and psychosis um wow. and that's within a week that must have been such a shock for you like you've gone from the, knowing something wasn't quite right to then 
all of a sudden medical side has stepped in and 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 i i mean was that that reassuring to some for someone to meet you there and and say hey yeah, yeah, you're right this isn't quite right weird kind of a mixture of both like mm. yeah absolutely petrifying because i just felt so out of control of myself right um and just this kind of realization that i'm not going to be back at work for a while yeah. like, this is it now um and kind of the stigma attached to absolutely what, like, I'm so does that mean i'm a crazy person like what what does that mean what does that what mean yeah mm. yeah but the side of it is oh thank goodness for that like i've got a diagnosis right so it was a relief to know that it wasn't all in my head right yeah, which is yeah. Really hard to be <laughs> but no no it makes total sense yeah yeah so then yeah this was quite a bit earlier on that then eventually led to this kind of really low time that you were feeling and was that quite a long gap in between or was that you know was that a, a time do you think that you'd come to realize all the things that were happening and it had really hit home or, or connect that up for us so I think the sort of the five years between but just under five years really um between sort of 2007 and, and 2012 that sort of moment I, I describe it really as kind of like a mountain and valley experience and you okay. know when like if you if you see a mountain range there's more than one mountain isn't there which means that you have to go down a couple of times and go up a couple Absolutely. of times it was like that mm. um, like that for me really in that I had an inpatient stay in 2007 and the medication started to kick in and I started to feel a bit better and then kind of over the years I would have this kind of I'm climbing up the mountain mm -hmm. I've applied for a job I've got a new job I'm doing my job I'm starting to have a relapse. I'm coming down to the side of the mountain into okay. the valley. Okay. Um, I'm not feeling very in control again. I'm relapsing. I'm having to quit my job. Um, and then I kind of find myself back at square one. So that must have been so frustrating for you. Yeah, it was. It was particularly because I've always been a kind of a quite a driven person. Mm, absolutely. Um, and I think the hardest, the hardest thing was handing in my resignation from my, my job that I was doing when I mm -hmm. first was diagnosed because I held on to it and held on to it thinking no I can do it I'm going to get well I'm going to go back yeah. but it just it, it just wasn't right at all I was I wasn't well enough so yeah I understand what you're saying and I mean you know it's very normal for us to feel the kind of ups and downs of our emotions and that, that they aren't you know we don't stay on a stable line we do go up and we do come down but it sounds as though for you they were just much higher and much lower and harder to kind of feel that they were manageable and and, and you've just described there as well about having to resign from work was that because you felt that that was the right thing to do or it wasn't really easy to talk about mental health and and struggling with your mental health there i knew i know we're going off onto a slightly different tangent but i was just yeah, interested in what I, you said I there tried going back actually in mm. september i tried going back and i tried it just on a really like small phase yeah. return to work i think i was going in for like two hours twice mm -hmm. a week right and they weren't necessarily aware that they were doing this right some of the staff were looking at me differently um i had one member of staff just burst into tears in front of me and just be like i'm so sorry i'm so sorry this has happened to you and me being like right okay okay that's I, a lot yeah like are you ever going to be able to view me as capable emma mm -hmm. or are you always going to see you know because they they knew a little bit about what had happened i'm mm. always going to think of me as as emma the woman who's got schizoaffective disorder because that's what my diagnosis became mm -hmm. 
it's very um, difficult to be in a work environment where everyone knows what's yeah. happened isn't it and and yeah, like you say some people might handle that well job. but some people yeah. but some people yeah. you know might not yeah and I just think I I wasn't in a place where I was um entirely comfortable with myself at that time of course and it was so, so new yeah like you had so yeah, much just, to come to terms with yeah mm, yeah I can remember um being on the one of the wards on a, um, my first inpatient stay and um seeing a poster about schizophrenia on the wall and reading it and thinking well that's what I've got just mm. like, you know, that, that's it that's what it is and then speaking to my team and saying well I think I've diagnosed myself with schizoaffective disorder and then being like well actually yeah we we, we would agree okay um, wow we don't normally give that diagnosis for a while and right. we've observed and just made sure and that uh but yeah, and again, it was that weird thing of like, okay, so that's at least I know what it is. But then at mm-hmm. the same time, well, that puts me in the category of schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. Like, and what does that then mean for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And I think that's that is some of the difficulty with labels for lots of mental health issues and, and challenges is that then what does that label mean for you? Does that then enable you to get better support or does that take you down a road of um then really struggling with how you identify with that you know there's a number of different ways and it might be all of the ways that you respond but it 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 can be quite quite challenging i think for for anyone especially at that early stage really really especially at that early stage okay so then getting to that point where you felt you you rang the samaritans you didn't think you wanted to be alive anymore what was the lead up to that what happened then that meant it was that time that you felt this is the time i think it was just a case of just being worn down yeah just thinking i'm never ever going to i'm never going to have a career Mm -hmm. i'm never gonna i'm never gonna find anybody and settle down and you know all the stuff that i'd wanted yeah you know this this is my life now it's Mm -hmm. gonna be you know i'm going to be in and out of inpatient facilities um they've told me that you know i'm I'm unlikely to recover and um wow that must have been hard to hear Mm. that that kind of you get fed um and me just thinking well that that, that's it then isn't it like and actually all i am i'm just just feeling like a complete burden like my mum was my main carer um because I was living at home mm. and I mean by then we'd got to the stage where I mean a couple of years before she'd had to sleep across my doorway at night um so that I didn't get out and hurt myself or hurt mm. somebody else mm. and just thinking just sort of for them as well just like you know they deserve better than this like yeah yeah going down that route of everybody would be better off if I wasn't here which actually isn't true because you know everybody would it would have been awful yeah of course um, it would and but, you know everyone want, was just, trying just so hard that that was a solution yeah mm, 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 absolutely yeah. um and you can see how that would that would lead to th- those kind of really strong impulses feelings that it maybe there's an easier way and that this might be it mm. thank you because it's such a, a powerful vulnerable story and and you're just being so honest and it's really really refreshing but I really want to start to move forward now to what happened when you chose life? What were the things that you began to do to find little kind of 
tiny shards of hope of light coming through or did it take a long time how tell me a little bit about that how was that for you yeah so um you know Harry that hope is kind of central to my story my absolutely story, really and so I think hope had been shown before then okay um in various different ways um I remember sort of within the first couple of weeks of me being ill my mum saying to me look shoulder to shoulder Emma like we'll get through this and um and that just being really just like amazing and then just mm. thinking, okay all right okay. at least I know that you know if I lose all my friends if I lose my job um at least I've got you know my parents are going to yeah absolutely so that was amazing you know and I know that for, for people who don't have that that you know that that must be so much harder absolutely and then just this like kind of weird analogy that I was sort of I'd, I'd sort of close my eyes to hope really okay. and um sort of ref refused to sort of allow myself to to think hopefully mm -hmm. um and I mean I, I did you know I was very very hopeless at one stage mm. um but then just little things just like the fact that I'd apply for a job I'd go to an interview I'd be offered the job well that was huge yeah yeah huge. Yeah. yeah absolutely um, smaller things to begin with like um I love doing craft and so I mm -hmm. decided one Christmas I would try and make some Christmas cards and see if I could sell them at like a church fair amazing I did that and I sold a few I didn't sell all of them but I sold a couple and just that feeling of somebody wants to buy something that I've made right um, and something you've done is things. an achievement yeah. you know and you've actually yeah. achieved something in your day which is quite a powerful feeling I think yeah. it's that feeling of purpose isn't it it's so important and I think you know I'd really felt like that had been just completely removed right um, right and and so to kind of find purpose again even okay. in little things just like you know I'm going to go for a walk right or uh, I embroidered a cushion for a friend for okay Thursday. okay um I remember my mum being terrified about the idea of leaving me with scissors and needles. Right. Um, to, to kind of, because by that stage I was, you know, the command hallucinations were very much, you know, hurt yourself with anything you can get your hands on. Type yeah, of thing. yeah. Um, and I remember her saying to my team, like, what, what do we do? Do we, do we let her do this or what, what do we do? And um, my consultant was amazing and he was just like, no we'll just let her do it she she knows she will say if it's becoming too much and it's about that like those little things as well like, absolutely like, risk -taking. yes yeah and empowering you because yeah. you know you are an adult you can make decisions for yourself you're going through this really difficult experience that yeah potentially gives you impairs those decisions or makes it more difficult but mm. the fact that it's allowing you to make the choices is just so supportive because it's a massive achievement when you do and you are able to and you are able to do something you really love doing and enjoy doing and it made you happy and positive and it wasn't an issue the fact that you were using you know scissors and needles and and something that was yeah. sharp yeah so I think kind of in answer to sort of the main bit of the question like there was there was hope throughout mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but I was always better at seeing it in hindsight but okay that's quite a natural kind yeah. of anyway of kind yeah. of um mankind like humankind just that we very good in retrospect so mm. you know, oh yeah absolutely good at noticing stuff in the moment and I think mm. I think that takes practice and I think that's probably partly like the success of kind of the mindfulness movement and yeah 
um, positive psychology and all that kind of stuff and being thankful and gratitude like it's more about trying to think about what you're being in the moment isn't it and being absolutely present. absolutely I think you spoke to me um, as well um, I think we spoke previously about when sometimes you're you know some of the things that might help you to feel better but you might withhold them from yourself and you were sort of talking about that idea there of withholding hope from yourself like it was there but it was it you weren't always available to see it for whatever reason because you maybe weren't in the right frame of mind to see it because yeah. you weren't accessing that yeah, positive absolutely. feeling and it can be yeah, difficult when you're low yeah yeah definitely definitely and sometimes even feeling to the point where I don't deserve it I don't I don't deserve to allow myself to be hopeful it's tough yeah um, and that kind of real inner battle I guess to like yeah. I, I desperately would like to be hopeful but I'm not going to allow myself to be hopeful and I'm quite a, I'm a very sick I'm a very stubborn person. <laughs> so okay. once I sort of set my mind on something, if I was like, mm. well, I'm not going to be hopeful, that's it then now. I can't allow myself to be because I've mm -hmm. said it. So mm -hmm. it's, it's that whole kind of getting stuck. Okay. Um, in, the, in that permission of, of, not, of changing your mind, having permission to change your mind is quite a, a difficult yeah. thing sometimes. So yeah. would you say that there were any particular activities or, or even just a sort of turning point that moved you forward from that time when you were feeling really, really hopeless and, start, you know, in terms of moving forward and choosing life and being and, and, and deciding to do it properly, as, as you said earlier? I think... The decision to do it properly had a big impact. Mm, I, I bet it did. It was then that I was sort of thinking, well, I can't, I can't do this sort of half-hearted attempt anymore. Like, if I'm going, if I'm going to plan to do something, say for example, um, I'm going to try and get a job, then I'm going to go all out and try and get a job, and I'm Amazing. going to put things in place to make sure that I can stay in my job mm -hmm. and keep myself well. So it was almost like a bit of a change in my mindset, which right. I hadn't set about to mm -hmm. do at all. It, it just it just sort of happened really I think um, that's fascinating um I've found that people have described that to me before that idea of reaching a, a lowest of the low point and then when you come out the other side you're like right well I'm I'm gonna do this you know suddenly having some energy after a long long time of very very low energy and there's just something a shift yeah. and it's quite hard to put words onto it I think you did it beautifully there actually it's quite hard to put words onto that shift in perspective yeah I think yeah I journaled when I was poorly I journaled loads okay um and I found that really helpful um I found it helpful sort of in the moment um but then I also found it helpful kind of years down the line when I'd okay. be able to go back and look in my journal and find hope by reading about how bad things were about how much better things were now that's um, amazing and so I suppose part of the journey has been that yeah it's it's mountains and valleys it, it really is but it's on an upward trend yes um, if that makes sense that's yeah it's aren't as low okay and the highs are more sustained so it's mm. like, you know it, and it, I wouldn't even say it was a high anymore it's more of a like a just a nice kind of balanced I'm content I'm sort of you know just um yeah just contentment just like here I am I'm just mm. I'm, on my, I'm on my walk that yeah um, that is something yeah, really powerful there yeah about contentment as well because maybe it's about us not necessarily looking for the high highs it's about the yeah. having the day that was peaceful and that was relaxing and content that's such a, mm. a perfect word for it so that 
we are going to have these ups and downs these peaks and troughs mountains and valleys as you as you described them but we are always going to come to the middle and maybe the middle can move up a little bit you know maybe the middle can be slightly more positive than it than it has been and somewhere a little bit more content that's amazing that's just yeah what an incredible move from where you were feeling so low and then able to look back in your journal and think I've really made progress so it was about sort of being able to document your progress in a way and also process some of that intensity of those feelings maybe somewhere to put it all in the journal yeah I think people do journaling slightly differently so I'm not quite sure how it worked for you I would just write down anything absolutely anything so some days I'd write reams and um you know I'd, I'd, I'd like finish a notepad and then <laughs> um, <laughs> other days I'd write a couple of sentences okay and, yeah it's interesting at the time that my journaling there was no pressure with it mm. um, and it was very much a you just do just do it and use it however you need to yeah um and that really was my outlet um in that sense now i can't keep a journal for toffee um how, how funny it's almost, it's almost like i over journal oh, right right <laughs> um, or just the pressure of that you need to do it and then it was like i want to do it so i'm gonna do it yeah that's a different place yeah. of I've, intention i've tried a couple of times sort of over the years and um yeah it does it feels like a pressure now it feels mm. like oh like you know what should i write how should i write it blah 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 and so I've just thought, no, do you know what? Seasons and reasons. There was absolutely. There was, a I was meant to write that journal. There we go. So and that was for that kind of away. period. Yeah, that was yeah. that period of of your life, and 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 that's okay if it stays there or if it comes back at another time and you feel like you yeah, want to journal absolutely. again. But yeah, I think you're so right in then not pressuring yourself because the the creativity moves, doesn't it, into different different types mm. of creativity in terms of how you express yourself and your feelings. Um, but yeah, that's just so fascinating as a process to be able to look at how you were feeling and then see, be able to sort of see the ups and downs and know that they they do come back to the middle, they do come back up again, you know, that you can be sure of that and you can be reassured by that maybe. Okay, so that's amazing. What I also really want us to talk about here is kind of where this has led you now because Emma you're doing some incredible amazing work and I and I really want people to be able to see how much hope just that there is and hope is the key word I think for us here isn't it but just how much hope there is going forward that you've come through this really difficult life-changing experience and you found a, a, a way through and it wasn't necessarily clear how the way through was going to work and then it's led you to somewhere really amazing tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and where it's taken you oh thanks <laughs> um so 2012 yeah was my turning point and then in 2013 i i, I volunteered for a year in 2012 for birmingham and solihull mental health foundation trust and I absolutely loved it. I was working in an area I promised myself I'd never work in. I'm not okay. going to work in mental health. It's not <laughs> there, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. Because you know what I do now. <laughs> Volunteered for a year. Absolutely found my calling, really. Okay. Um, a job came up. Applied for it. Got it. And I went to work in um, a medium, secure and complex care unit for, uh, I think it was about 90 men. Okay. Um, and I, oh, it was brilliant. 
it was the absolute making of me. While I was there, I um, requested all of my notes back. Right. Um, when I was poorly. Wow. <laughs> Didn't think there would be quite as many volumes as there were. Okay. Um, so, so they all came back to me in uh, about four files. Wow. Um, and I remember sitting there and going through my journals and then going through the notes and comparing what was written in the notes and what was written in the journal and just How being interesting. really struck by, oh my goodness, I thought I was having a really good day that day on the ward. And right. actually in my notes, it's reading Emma's wandering around the ward, unsure of who she is and things like this. Yeah. And I'm like, that was a great day. What are you on about? Okay. Um, so, so kind of looking through that, but actually what that did was that setting process, the, the kind of um, the idea that there were themes within my journal and themes within my recovery journey. Okay. Um, and so I wrote them down. I started to write them down. And because, of course, I was working in mental health and I went mm. to like, groups and all sorts of things, I began to think, my goodness, like the key theme is hope. Right. Um, and actually, if I go back through, even right from the beginning, there was tiny, tiny like seeds of hope. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I, I wrote a group. I wrote, I wrote a seven-week group um, okay. based around hope mm-hmm. uh, and around the idea of an acorn. Right. Um, in, so like that being like crisis stage and mm-hmm. you're buried underground mm. and you kind of when you you feel like you're surrounded by darkness, you can't see the way mm. out. And that kind Absolutely. Of stuff, and that you can't see that there's any hope, but actually mm. that little acorn's got everything it needs inside of it to to journey into this mighty oak tree. Right. Um, there's so a lovely quote you've just reminded me of with that about um I can't remember who whose it is but it's say, maybe it's a saying about where you think you've been buried but actually you've been planted ready to germinate which is such a lovely idea yeah sorry I interrupted you carry on yeah no no honestly there's so many amazing quotes around <laughs> acorns and seeds mm-hmm. and, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah, there's, there's loads isn't there and I am a fan of a quote uh, so <laughs> that's great I'll throw that one up you and me both Um, (laughs) so um so yeah so I wrote this group at the same time as starting working for the trust I also met my now husband um we really really weirdly met on a control and restraints course okay Um, (laughs) yeah weird uh but we both started working for the trust at the same time and so met met him he was really encouraging and sort of saying you know I think think might be on something here why don't you sort of pursue it a little bit and so I started I started to pursue it and by 2017 I'd kind of assembled a group of people around me who kind of potential saw that there was some sort of potential there Mm -hmm. Uh, this idea around hope around hope and mental health Mm -hmm. yeah I was kind of starting to formulate the idea that perhaps this needed to be a charity and Mm -hmm. um, maybe you know hope and recovery were really connected mm-hmm. um, I was incredibly fortunate to be to be offered a PhD at the University of Birmingham about hope and mental health recovery and so that was just that just opened up a whole new world to I me. bet um, yeah sort of looking into the research and being like oh my goodness like this actually is a thing like you know the re- all the research suggests that if you don't have hope you don't recover right um, so it's essential so actually essential yeah yeah, it's an absolutely essential component. And so I started to think, well, like we all talk about hope, but it's actually really difficult to understand. And maybe you can teach it. Maybe you can teach somebody to be hopeful. It, you know, there must be a way to find, grow and sustain hope. There must okay. be. Yeah. Um, 
and so this is where the course came from and which is now a charity so we're now a charity we're now a registered charity yes uh, we've, got a, we've got an amazing board of trustees and kind of hope is our bread and butter which is so just um, so it feels like such a privilege to be able to absolutely but what we do is we run now virtual uh, sort of online groups uh, around hope and recovery we do training we do workshops and we basically help people to find um, grow and maintain their hope in a way that's kind of practical but coming from a real lived experience absolutely nobody runs any courses or workshops unless they've had lived experience of mental mm-hmm. illness because mm-hmm. there's that whole thing of you know walk a mile in my shoes absolutely it? and that's so powerful for people who are undertaking this this learning this training to know that mm-hmm. the person who's running this really does know they really can empathize and not necessarily with your specific kind of challenge but they have had their own challenges i think it's mm-hmm. I think it's so important it's something I spoke about in the in the first podcast in this series when I talk about my own journey that something I think we don't talk about enough in mental health is the person who is supporting the person who needs support so the the mental health professional Mm. who's supporting someone who needs support that they are able to talk about lived experience and they don't necessarily need to share it in detail but they need to have had their own lived experience in order to really be authentic in their connection and their support because you don't really you can't really support someone with no experience at all of what they're going through it becomes very difficult you can you can sympathize for sure but but to to really understand kind of the levels of of fear and worry and and pain that people go through Mm. as well amazing so the charity you run your training on hope and i know as well that you've just launched a magazine which um, is really exciting so that's part of the whole journey yeah so the idea is that we kind of we do resources and courses and training just so that people are aware that recovery is possible because it totally is like no matter what an amazing message it's possible to walk your recovery journey and we just we just want people to know that there is hope even in the absolute bleakest moments there is there is still hope even if you can't see it it doesn't mean it goes away it's like air can't see air but we're still breathing absolutely um, that's so, where you and i are yeah, very yeah. much on the same kind of page about how yeah. fundamental it is to be able to know that even if i haven't got my own hope that i can borrow yours or you oh, know the, the 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 client yeah. can borrow the therapist's hope for them if they haven't got yeah. their own yeah exactly or you know you can hold hope for somebody we talk a lot about holding hope for people and you know just as my mum said to me all those years ago you know shoulder to shoulder and I'll I'll be your hope type of thing and I'll hold hope for you until you can you can hold it yourself absolutely well, yeah we can we can absolutely do that for people and so one of the things that we wanted to do was um give kind of a platform for all the amazing kind of charities and organizations and individuals out there that are doing just incredible incredible work and have some really good information for people and just kind of find a way that we can get good information out there Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. in kind of a really healthy way and so sort of I'd had this idea about a magazine sort of burning away in the back of my book for a while and slowly (laughs) bringing it forwards over time um, to the front of my book (laughs) Uh, and then I spoke to uh, another wonderful woman who um, 
founded and runs a charity in Birmingham um, for children and young people. Mm-hmm. And I was just sort of saying, you know, it's so frustrating because if I want to buy a mental health magazine or a magazine about family well-being, yeah. I've either got to fork out the best part of a tenner for it. Right. And then I'll get a magazine partly of information, partly of adverts. Mm-hmm. Um, or there's there's really nothing for families. Like it seems to be like quite a gap in the market. There's nothing Absolutely. that sort of talks really specifically about family stuff. So mm-hmm. so we co-founded what's now called B B magazine. Each it comes out every quarter mm-hmm. and um you're gonna be featuring in our oh, I am, which is very exciting. <laughs> And each quarter has, like, each issue has a, a theme. So our first one was called Be Inspired. Uh, and then this one that's going to be coming out in March is Be Hopeful. And then we've got, you know, future issues planned and stuff. But, Amazing. But yeah, we're, we're really excited by it. So. It's just incredible, I think, when you think about the sort of journey from how you have felt and how you were feeling from that time of real hopelessness to this finding inspiration through that journey and it becoming your purpose to then being able to be this prominent figure in what you're doing and and, and kind of really speaking out for people who are are having a hard time with their mental health and being an advocate and creating this incredible safe um supportive environment and and also providing something for families you know you know quite a bit about what I do and a lot of 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 my concern is about the huge gap in the market that there isn't much for children's mental health and young people's mental health and and I think it's just incredible that you've been able to kind of take this take this experience and turn it into something really really amazing and I hope it gives people hope and I, it sounds cliche maybe after all that we've t- been talking about, but ultimately that's what we're looking for, isn't it? That those threads of hope to know that there re- that change is possible. And in fact, we think it's more than possible and hope is there for everybody. It's just about mm-hmm. accessing it. And it might be that you can't access it yourself yet, but someone who loves you, someone who cares about you will be able to access and hold hope. I really like that phrase you used, hold hope for you until you're able to access it yourself and it's just so 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 powerful so thank you so much for kind of sharing all of that because it's just really really inspirational you are really inspirational and I hope that 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 you that that you can hear that and it doesn't feel uncomfortable but I really think it's such an incredible journey and I'm so so grateful to you that you you've been so generous in sharing it with us is there anything else that you wanted to kind of do you know what i'd like to end with a quote oh yes i love it um, love it and actually it's my favorite it's my absolute favorite hope quote and it <laughs> watch me mess this up now um, <laughs> and it goes like this off the cuff um yeah oh. hope is the only thing that through giving away you get more of and it's that whole idea that the more you can give hope to somebody else the more hopeful you become yourself and I just love it because, you know, we, we joke, don't we, about the gift that keeps on giving and all that. Yeah, yeah. Literally, yeah. the gift that keeps yeah. on giving. So that's just beautiful. I end by saying, give hope today to somebody and you'll get it back in absolute spadefuls. And if you, yeah, so if you can't find it yourself, give, give some and then see what happens oh emma thank you so much i absolutely have loved this i've really really enjoyed it so thank you for kind of spending the time and and taking us through that i really really appreciate it 
no thank you so much you know what you're doing so important and yeah I think you're brilliant you're welcome Gosh, what an absolute superstar Emma is to be talking with such openness and honesty about what must have been the one of the most difficult experiences any of us could ever go through. And it really has so much in that story which can be taken away and thought about. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and you really got that one of the key takeaways was thinking about hope, which is the thing that is absolutely transformational going forward when you're feeling low the difference between finding hope and not finding hope is the difference between recovery and not making recovery and so it's so important that this message is out there for you i hope that you got lots from this conversation with emma her message of hope is out there loud and clear and you can connect with her and all the things that she's doing through the links on the show notes for today also on today's show notes is support and places that you might like to look for support going forward linked to what we were talking about today and also as ever there is support for all different mental health issues which you can also find on the website at dawnbreaks.co.uk otherwise take really good care and you'll hear from me soon <laughs>